Thank you for tuning in. Our next presenter is Mike Druin, President of MedX Health. Mr. Druin, you may begin. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, welcome, everyone. Thank you for um, closing off the day, or uh, close to closing off the day, I guess, and uh, listening to us. Uh, I'll start with the presentation. I think everybody may be familiar with the format, so you can uh, get questions. And at the end of the uh, presentation, I will um, I will conclude and let everyone know. Then I'll start answering any questions that you might have. Um, so, Medix, uh, Medix is um, I make a declarative statement at the beginning of this. We are a leader in teledermatology. And um, I'll explain a little bit about that. Of course, uh, you know, anything that I'm going to be discussing today, we've got Safe Haven uh, uh, on here, and, and I will answer any questions that I can. Uh, I'll get as granular as I can uh, during the question period, uh, but I'll be careful about selective disclosure. So um, just uh, I think everybody's familiar with that. And then we'll start. Um, so defining teledermatology, I guess I would say the best way to say it is you know, we've had this COVID-19, which has really gotten the world alerted to telehealth, the ability to communicate to people and have conversations uh, with medical practitioners over the uh, over the uh, internet uh, and and using Zoom and various other kind of mechanisms like that, so that one's able to have conversations with health professionals. And this, of course, was designed to protect health professionals uh, during the transmission and lower the transmission rate of COVID-19. Um, teledermatology is a subset of telehealth, where our goal is to be able to get uh, patients that have any kind of skin conditions, particularly ones that are life-threatening like melanoma, to be able to get a point of care with an imaging a capture device across a safe transmissible telemedicine platform to a dermatologist for rapid assessment. And so when I say that we're, uh, you know, defining ourselves as a leader in teledermatology, um, this is what I believe it takes to be a leader in, tele in teledermatology. You have to have a very advanced image capture system at the one end uh, where the patient goes for the ease of access location. And um, currently in teledermatology, the cameras that people are using are not specifically made for uh, advanced analysis of melanomas, um, and I'll speak to that a little bit longer in the presentation. We have the most advanced image capture system in the world, um, and that makes a big difference in terms of our differentiator, in terms of our offering. You have to have a patient management system that controls the patient's information. You have to be able to, if a patient is diagnosed with a melanoma, be able to have the forwarding ability to take care of that, uh, take care of that melanoma to make sure that's removed from the body. And the big part is to be an enterprise value sort of size system, you have to have deeply secure um, image control and patient control uh, in, in the telemedicine platform. So there's rules around HIPAA and PIP that we're pretty familiar with those. But when you're dealing with large enterprises, you really need SOC 1 level security so that ransomware and, and the usual hacks that one would be uh, tested with are never uh, penetrated. Images aren't allowed to stay on the devices. Everything has to be stored and, and protected for 10 years. And there's a host of things that uh, prevent some of the weaker uh, telemedicine platforms for uh, teledermatology for ever getting sort of large-scale implementation. Um, 
you have to have to be able to um, securely uh, maintain a patient's information for 10 years. And, of course, you have to have all the regulatory approvals, FDA, CE, Health Canada. Currently, Medix is uh, capable of selling into 35 countries. So we have a, a very large scale of, uh, of uh, health, health authority um, clearances. And any of the research that's been done on you, you should have that to support you because that aids the speed to uh, access of the market. And you should have an AI strategy, and I'll speak to that a little further along in the presentation. This is the management team um, that you see in front of you here. Um, you know, I'm in charge of all of the 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 um, opening of the markets for our dermatological uh, practice. Um, and so that falls on me, market strategy, and, and that uh, we have some very competent people that uh, are working on the on the um, on the sales side of it with Damon Goodwin, uh, Naman, uh, and, and our team here. So we've got a really a good, very very developed uh, management team around the dermatology side that really understand that and have lots of years of experience in getting this kind of product to market. On our medical advisory board, it's quite active. So we have uh, a host of medical advisors, uh, dermatologists. That, that work to build our product and our, our, our complete unit. Everything we do with our technology is vetted in the workplace with dermatologists to make sure we solve real-world problems and that the platform and everything interacts in the workflow as you would expect it to with a dermatologist. Uh, we have, uh, for the U.S. market, where we're expanding quite rapidly into, we have Dr. Dan Siegel, on our medical advisory board, uh, Dan's exceptionally helpful to us. He was a former president of the American Academy of Dermatology, and Dan's also a specialist in reimbursement. And the U.S. system has uh, much more complex uh, coding systems with their CPT, and we can always use Dan's uh, expertise in that space. So we'll explain a little bit about uh, cancer. So skin cancer is a very prevalent uh, cancer, unfortunately. Uh, the World Health Organization, there are pockets of uh, skin cancer where you see here in the red. Some of the countries are actually far more robust with skin cancer, but they've got very poor registries for recording it. Uh, for example, Brazil, and uh, but it's epidemic levels in Brazil. So this map is reasonably uh, accurate around what's going on, but it's the most, seventh most common uh, skin, uh, cancer uh, in the world. The problem, and I'm just using the Canadian model, but the U.S. model isn't much different, and, and this, is, this is something we experience globally, is Canada, for example, has only 537 dermatologists. So it's one dermatologist for every 69,000 people. The U.S. is about one dermatologist for every 61,000 people. So a lot of times the problem is in remote areas and in, in areas in urban areas, you can get to a dermatologist reasonably easy within a couple of months. With COVID now, those times are stretched out to six to eight months. But anywhere you get outside, just outside the core, these times go out to a year to 16 months, and that's a real, real problem if one has a melanoma. It changes quite dramatically as you move outside, and COVID hasn't helped us at all. The um, the, uh, the because of the office capacity has been so shrunken, um, it, it just takes so much longer to get in to see a dermatologist. So, you know, Medix's belief is that uh, that um, no one should have, um, hang on a second, let's just 
sun advancing the sun over. Uh, so we believe that everybody should have quick access to a dermatologist. Teledermatology solves that problem if you have a complete integrated system. So I'll talk a little bit about the image capture systems that are out there right now and what the differentiator is with our technology. Um, if you take a look at the current technologies, what you see on the top picture here is what they call a dermoscopic view. This is what a dermatologist would use to look at a molar lesion on your body. The essentially a magnified lens with a light on it. You can look through it and you can see this is a, what they call a gray-blue veil um, on that, that mole that you see to the right of that. And that image is, um, you know, to a dermatologist would immediately recognize that as a melanoma and immediately take that removed from you. When you start using the other, uh, the other devices that are used to capture images, you get two things. They can take reasonably good images, but a lot of the problem with them is if they're using just the local networks to send them across to dermatologists, you get a huge amount of compression and manipulation of the images, which really creates a problem for dermatologists looking to, um, for dermatologists looking to assess them because you lose a lot of the visual acuity. And that's the problem uh, with the image capture system using conventional devices that were not specifically built, uh, were not specifically built for dermatology. And in fact, the studies out there show that 42% of the current imaging technology used in teledermatology, the dermatologist can't assess them. So it creates a real problem where, you know, you go into a clinic or you'll go in and they take an image and they send it across to the dermatologist and the dermatologist looks at it and says, I have no idea. Uh, as, as our dermatologist said, it's either a Hawaiian island or a melanoma, and that's not what you need. So our device is a little different. Our device was built specifically. Uh, it's got a conal front on the end of it, which allows us to capture the image perfectly. Um, so I'll just go on. This is what they call a nodular melanoma. But I'll just show you. This is a real live example. This is one I caught. Um, I was actually uh, hitting a bucket of golf balls. Lady beside me, um, lady beside me had uh, this on her shoulder. Um, it's what we call an ugly duckling. It's a pretty, it, you know, I mean, I noticed it right away, and I've been trained on this. So I looked at it and said, gee, don't want me to be creepy, but do you mind if I take a look at that? Asked her if she had it, had it reviewed, and she said, yeah, my uh, doctor actually looked at it earlier this morning, and my doctor said it was fine. And I said, well, I'd like to take a second opinion. If you don't mind, let me take a look at it. And so here's how our technology presents to a dermatologist. You can see there's a clinical view, which shows me the surrounding skin, and you can see this one is, uh, this one violates everything with a melanoma. It's um, ulcerated, on, it's elevated, it, it's against, you know, it's got irregular borders and everything. But now our technology has the ability to go below the skin surface two millimeters. So where you see these red arrows in the color view and the blood view, these really are pointing for what we call disruption or chaos below the skin, and these images shouldn't be there. These are chromophores that represent um, digital signatures for uh, melanoma. And uh, this one in particular, uh, the, the what you see the white scale there is in the, in the blood view, you see this surrounding white areas with uh, blood supply to them. That's melanoma, early stage melanoma here. Uh, you see in the dermal melanin view, the coloration which shows the concentration of melanin. That's why your skin gets tanned in the summertime. 
Uh, it's to protect the skin from the UV wave damage. This has high concentrations of dermal melanin, and of course that's abnormal. And the collagen view, instead of being plain, has this white cloudy look about it, which means that the tumor is pushing up against the collagen. Now, if that collagen view had holes in it, we'd be really concerned because that means it's pushed through the two millimeter level called the reticular dermis, and now we've got in the blood supply. So this particular patient, Danielle, we were able to uh, see it. Uh, this was a Friday at about 10.30 or 11, I caught this, and this is Monday morning at 8.30. We had it removed from Danielle, and, you know, she was a single mom with a daughter with uh, cerebral palsy, and she had said to me afterwards, Mike, if I had to run into you, <clears throat> kind of what would have happened, and I would have said, well, eight months from now, we would have been in a much worse shape than we're in now, but we caught it as a stage one, uh, what we call in situ uh, melanoma, so that was good, good a good prognosis, and, and that's really at the heart of what our technology can do. Um, in terms of the healthcare savings, you know, in that particular lesion with an early detection, we have, we, we, we have a guarantee of 72 hours turnaround between by the time we scan you and a dermatologist renders an assessment. So her five-year survival rate in the case of Danielle uh, it was 97%. Uh, survival rate and the cost of the healthcare system to have that simple uh, lesion because it was on the surface removed uh, was about $2,400. Had that had progressed to a stage four melanoma, which could happen within eight months to 11 months, and you'll see a, a little note there that says weeks, and that's something I'll talk, speak about in a minute, but the, her survival rate drops to about 20%. Uh, she ends up on very expensive drugs, PD-1 inhibitors, um, that um, that are very expensive. They cost $150,000 a year to keep her alive, radiation, chemotherapy, uh, and it's metastatic. So, you know, the key to our technology is we can capture very, very confidently uh, melanomas and deadly, mel uh, deadly skin conditions uh, like that. And we also have an additional camera that allows us, because dermatology breaks into sort of two subject matters. One, cancers, and then the other ones are skin maladies. So we have a secondary camera, an HD camera, and what that captures is the other things that we're more accustomed to seeing, psoriasis, rosacea, acne, tropical rashes in the skin, uh, parasites, that type of thing. So we are essentially electronically or digitally, we're dermatologists in a box. We can take deep images of the skin or we can take surface images and we can put them together with a patient management system, so this is what that looks like. So the patient management system records your your name, your information, a little predictive analytics on the mole we looked at, what's concerning you today about it. We can tell you where it's been scanned, what center, who the dermatologist was, who assessed it, who the trainer was, and then what, what the actual uh, assessment was and what's the outcome of the assessment. We keep the image on our records for 10 years where it was located on your body and the images. You can come back any time in that 10-year range, and we can uh, take that same image, bring it up on the computer along with the past image that you had, and we can look at it both on the surface and below the surface to see if there's been any evolution or any change whatsoever. So we have a full telemedicine platform. We own all of the data. We own everything from tip to tail. So we have abilities to connect into the EMR system, the electronic medical records, we have a full medical history, image repository, um, you know, billing data, any kind of the threat testing. We're a fully secure, fully integrated, tip-to-tail system. Um, the other thing we have is a 
um, our AI platform, because we control all the images and the images are very well contained within our, our image capture system, there isn't required a lot of image manipulation. And we use convolutional neural networks to be able to determine uh, the classifiers. So what we do with our AI, a lot of people are trying to use images and comparing them to data banks to see if the image looks like anything in the database to look and say, well, that kind of looks like a melanoma. We think that's a bit of a, a fool's gamut because a lot of the databases out there have really poor imaging. They're not standardized images, so you get sort of garbage in and garbage out. Our technology is geared to be able to say, is it a pigmented lesion and is it below the skin surface? And if it's on the surface, then we can tell immediately this is just a um, what we call a solar lentigo or sun damage. It'll immediately eliminate that from having to see a dermatologist. So our system is works with the dermatologist. If they miss anything, our uh, AI will give an assessment. We'll be about a year away from having that through the clinical trials to be able to show efficacy on that uh, in terms of, of that. But uh, we've got a very robust AI system uh, that we think is, is going to be uh, quite useful for uh, uh, monetization. And then the other thing about our technology, just to sort of show how, how, sorry about that, how it works is we just, it's a really this simple. We have the devices, they go on to a, to a computer. Uh, it's a standalone scope that, that plugs in. It's on a Chrome browser. Everything is stored up by AWS. No images leave country of origin. Everything is secure from the tip. So we just have a, it doesn't require a doctor. A simple technician can learn the, learn how to use our scope in two and a half hours, secure across the internet. A dermatologist can read it. Uh, it's asynchronous uh, in terms of that, so they read it on their own time. Render an assessment on it, and then we uh, we take care of uh, take care of that depending. So it's either you know this was a benign molar lesion, remember to wear a skin screen, and um, or you know this requires more work. On the cost model, um, um, let me see, two more minutes. Okay, on the cost model, uh, we have our own ISO facility in uh, Canada where we build the scopes, uh, give you some range of what it looks like. Our costs for building uh, the scopes are about $700. Um, that's our in cost with overhead attributed to it. And we sell those scopes anywhere from 2000 US uh, to 2500 USD. Um, and that's the hardware. And that really isn't where we make our money. We make our money on a proper SaaS model as a transmission fee. So every time we do an e-consult, uh, we make $10 USD uh, um, for the e-consult, and that's for us handling all the pa package, the data, the information, storage, and sending across the Internet. And that $10 fee uh, into $20, depending on the uh, aesthetic, if we're in the aesthetic market, it's a little higher and a little bit more functionality. And for that, that costs us about $0.26. Cents. So the real margin in us is the SaaS model where we get uh, for uh, the storage, uh, data storage and image transmission. And we have hybrid models on that, which include leasing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so to give you a preview of kind of what our customer base looks like, um, pharmacy chains right now. Uh, so we're working with a, a number of uh, large pharmacy chains. We've got sort of five pharmacy chains globally that we're talking to, uh, a couple of these we've been speaking to for a while. Uh, most of the stuff we've been going through in terms of the uh, rollout on that has been circled around the security side of it. 
and most of that now, well, all of it now is actually past the scrutiny on that, and we're just starting into piloting phases. We'll run pilots for 30 to 60 days. We'll hear more about that shortly, and then it looks like it'll be a rollout from there. But the pharmacies represent absolutely a perfect model for us. You've got these um, pharmacies are moving more and more into what we call digital health. We've got a fairly robust channel strategy, and, you know, stuff that is very close to being across the finish line on uh, stuff we've been working on some big projects and uh, but we have a very target targeted uh, uh, rollout for this year and i'll speak a little bit to that i think i'll just end with that if anybody has any questions that i missed please add them into the file and i'll just go to the q a side now and start to answer some of the questions uh regarding so here's a question um a strategy whether the focus for commercialization is to grow within countries like Brazil and Mexico or where the company is starting expansion into new markets. Uh, thank you for that question. Um, we announced that we were in Brazil. Uh, we had a really good uh, and, and, and continue to have a very good partnership in Brazil. Uh, Brazil got very heavily slammed with COVID. Um, you know, where our office is in Brazil is in Sao Paulo, which was uh, was very strongly hit with the COVID. That did slow down our penetration into Brazil. We got an early order for 500 scopes. Uh, I think we have about 134 scopes uh, down in Brazil being executed into the or being uh, into the market now. Uh, but now everybody's sort of back in the areas that we're focused on. And our team and partnership down in Brazil is doing a very good job. Um, so we are expecting to have a, a very good year in Brazil. Uh, we made a press release that we were uh, partnered in Mexico. And we had spent the year, again, a little slower on the uptake because of COVID with the regulatory clearance. But we're expecting to have that in the next few weeks here, uh, clearance in Mexico. And once we do that, we'll be uh, our partners in Mexico. We're very very proud of them, and uh, we expect to see a very good turnout in Mexico. Again, another very big-scale market for us to go into. Uh, our partners were very selective of who we pick for partners in the countries we go into, uh, but our technology, because it is scalable, we, uh, you know, it's easy for us to convert it into the language of the country. We can, we're compliant with all of their um, images, can't leave the country, all of the sort of scalability stuff. We already have all of that, so it allows a, a partner down there to go into the market with a very um, a very uh, unique offering uh, to the dermatological space, and we, uh, we, we get behind our partners down there and do lots of trade shows and uh, lots of speakers down there. So uh, both Brazil and Mexico are markets that we expecting a good year with in 2021, but we are opening other markets. Um, I'll just talk about one. Uh, we just made a press release that we did a, a, um, a moved our Derm Secure, which is our platform technology, into the Netherlands. It's the number five country in the world experiencing skin cancer. Um, so what it looks like there, um, right now our numbers are running about 20 scans a day. Uh, they currently have um, a number of clinics running. They're going to be ramping up to 41 clinics by 2022, it'll be most of that will come in 2021. Uh, we predict revenue somewhere, some guidance here between 60 and 70 thousand dollars per clinic a year. So times 41, it's two and a half million dollars essentially of revenue. Once we're fully in the in the clinics in the Netherlands, is our expected revenue model on that? 
and um, and uh, that's very very profitable. That's the, that's the revenue where we're making 10 USD, and and we're you know it's costing us 26 cents. So we're, we're excited about that. So this year you'll see us expand into uh, Europe, a uh, number of locations, countries, and in the U.S. Uh, market uh, aggressively this year. Uh, next question. Um, with the growing attention being paid to telehealth and do you forecast increased competition in your space? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I'm hoping so. I mean, you know, you don't want to be the only person out in the marketplace because that means you're in a market nobody cares about. Uh, you know, our goal on that is always to stay ahead of everything. And, you know, our team's extremely focused. We work deeply with the dermatological community looking for other things that are missing in the market that we can bring in to, to bear that, uh, that we can use. We think the AI will be quite a, um, quite an attractive piece. We know the new clinical cameras actually helping a lot as well. Um, so right now, most of the stuff is early stage where people are taking cameras and hooking them in the telemedicine platforms, and it's really not getting the attention of the dermatologists. Uh, as the dermatologists, particularly the younger ones coming on board, are seeing our technology, there's been a tremendous interest around that. Uh, one of the questions here that was asked is, um, are our scopes patent protected? Uh, the answer to that is yes, um, but there's also another side to our, our scopes. I get this uh, I get this quite a bit, which is, well, somebody could reverse engineer your scope and, and they could do all that. And, and I, you know, I say my, my pet answer to them is, I'll give you everything. You can have the scopes. I'll teach you how to build them. You can do all of that. Here's the problem. Because we're a class two medical device and we have the ability to capture below the skin surfaces, for you to pass the regulatory hurdle to be in our space, you would have to do clinical trials that are that that define and prove that. In fact, that's what your claim, your statement of claim is on your FDA filing or on your CE filing. So really our barrier to entry is the time it takes you to get through the regulatory process as a class two medical device, number one. Number two, even if you get all of the done where you've got a really good image capture system, you're gonna to have to build your own telemedicine platform to be able to control the speed and scalability of your market. And, you know, all of that's expensive and, and, and quite labor intensive. So uh, answer is it, it takes a bit of time to get that done. Um, so from terms of, you know, protection in, of our market, I think we're in good shape on terms of that. Um, my next uh, is to review and potential, sorry, just one more, one more question. Uh, once the technology is used to assess a patient, is the idea for a medicine to review and provide assessment or would this be something important? Okay. So it, it's a little bit question about how does, how does it work? So the way it would work was you'll go into a pharmacy. Um, if you're in Canada, you'll get referred to a GP to a pharmacy. You'll go in, they'll scan you, the images will be taken, it'll be sent over to the dermatologist. The dermatologist will render an assessment and that assessment will be at that point in time the patient becomes the patient of the dermatologist. So we work in conjunction with the dermatologist. If they want us to add an additional service, which we have, we can actually integrate back and forth with the patient or the dermatologist's office will report back to the patient and say, there's nothing to worry about here or you need to come in for a clinical assessment. Um, yeah, 
uh, there's a, a good question here was, was for the comp uh, competitor to enter your space, uh, what would it cost to develop a device like yours and how long would it take to get them approved in governing health authorities? Yeah, uh, you know, sort of regulatory approval, just to give you an idea, Brazil's under what we call MedSAP audit, uh, which is the most stringent one. When we went into Brazil, it took, took us about a year of going back and forth with all the regulatory side. They do things where they'll come up into your office, they'll do a full uh, blown audit on you, they'll spend a whole bunch of time with you to make sure that um, um, that everything's working and running and, and that everything you say is, is what it is. So it's, it takes a year to get through the regulatory process. So it's, it's a quite a lengthy uh, uh, procedure. Um, uh, can we start to see growth in revenue? Yeah, I think that's a, probably uh, the biggest question uh, with us. Uh, people that have been shareholders of ours have been shareholders for quite some time. We've got a fairly loyal shareholder base. Uh, a lot of it has been, you know, a bit of the Jerry Maguire, show me the money. And I think we made our first announcement in the Netherlands that gave that, gave that um, opportunity to people to get a look at what our revenue can actually look like. And I would say that beginning in 2021, uh, we're going to have a host of revenue announcements coming out uh, um, throughout the year. I think this is a year where we already know we've hired some really, really high-end people that are getting us into markets. We're getting uh, early stage of the pilots going uh, right now. And, uh, and so, yeah, 2021, you should see very, very rapid revenue growth with us in 2021. So um, we have no, this year is a full year of execution. Up until now, we've had to spend a lot of time on the telemedicine platform and get everything integrated and working uh, the way it needed to work to be commercialized. We're, there's no excuse for us not pushing revenue out the door this year. Another one here, just refresh. Um, key factors to watch this year. Um, I think a couple of factors to watch this year will be some large-scale potential installs um, that that'll come out here shortly. That'll give people an insight of of, the, of us. I think I think we've got one or two sort of very large-scale projects that'll start, and I think that'll put to better to rest that a we are a leader in teledermatology and that we are scalable and we've withstood the scrutiny of a large-scale firm that would do ex, ex, uh, a fairly large amount of due diligence on us. And then I think it's just a matter from there of execution. And uh, the good news about it is we'll be able to do some fairly good analytics to everybody where everybody will start to understand kind of what to expect from every time they hear uh, um, scopes being put out there, what they can expect from, uh, from the revenue flow from that. So I think the key factor this year to us is execution, watching us add more distributors to our uh, platform, uh, seeing actually installs going in, and, uh, and seeing some large-scale uh, large execution. Uh, that'll be the, the, real, um, the real secret to this year. Let's see if there's anything else. If there's any other questions, I'm quite happy to answer them. That's... That's sort of a list of the questions that I have. I'm just trying to think of if there's any questions anybody might have missed. Um, um, I think that's one I, to be honest with you, I think they're good questions. I hope this was helpful to everybody. Oh, I can talk a little bit about our cap. Uh, why don't I talk a little bit about our market uh, uh, capital structure? Because that's one of the problems that uh, 
that we get to hear. You know, this was a turnaround company. Oops, just a second. Uh, this was a turnaround company, and our capital structure is uh, such that we have a fair amount of shares outstanding, about 175 million uh, outstanding right now. One of the uh, one of the things I would say is, you know, we've had a big move in the telehealth stocks, and and Medix hasn't participated in any of that kind of movement. Uh, we've had a pretty you know year that we've been flat as a stock. I think the revenue generation will start to become apparent here. Uh, over the first quarter, and, you know, we're still only trading at about a 24, 25 million market cap. So if we do have the margins that, um, you know, I'm suggesting to everybody and we get the revenue numbers out this year, the stock is quite undervalued. I know there's a lot of shares outstanding in terms of, you know, what the retail market thinks, but the truth of the matter is it's really the market capitalization. Um, you know, I could have a lot less but, but market capitalization is one of the one of the things that uh, I would uh, ask investors to take a look at. And I think, are you looking to raise more capital? Um, we'll look at that. Uh, we'll look at that on a basis on 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 a need basis. Um, we have a host of warrants out there that'll help uh, fund the company. Uh, as we uh, get our stock price higher, which we'll be focused on this year as we start to deliver revenue. Um, you know, I, I would take in strategic capital if, because of some of the companies we deal with that are larger scale companies, you know, you, you want to have a strong balance sheet when you're dealing with them because one of the things that, um, one of the things that they look for is a strong, a strong enough balance sheet that they know you're going to be in business and you never want to always be hand to mouth. This has been a turnaround, so we've always been capital constrained. It's one of the problems we've had with this company. Um, but I think we've been very good stewards with the, with the, with the capital we have raised. And I think we've built a world class and a product and service. And so I, I think we'll be fine with that. But, um, um, you know, we'll look at that on a, on a case by case study, if you will, on the revenue raise. So I hope I've answered everyone's questions. I want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, today. If there's any other questions, um, uh, Bill Matulis is on our investment relations side. Uh, if anybody wants to, uh, Bill's on our on our uh, on our uh, device here, so he can always uh, ask questions or get in touch with Bill or get in touch with me. Thank you for your time today. And that concludes this webcast. Thank you.